Westworld Season 1, Episode 5. Contrapasso is over, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. It's the Welcome to Westworld podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wigler, and here to join me in bringing to the lady with the white shoes, it's Joe Garfine. Joe, what's going on? <laughs> I'm busy um, removing my own scalp to find the map because uh, there are a lot of rabbit holes in this particular episode. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, that's not a... I mean, I think that it's still probably too early in the run of Westworld for Westworld to have been a very popular Halloween costume, like, option <laughs> this year. But I feel like next year it's going to be popular enough. A full season will have aired. We might be in the middle of season two at that point by next Halloween 2017 that maybe somebody could go. It would be a really deep cut to go as the uh, as the as the guy who worked at the brothel, the poker guy who got scalped by the man in black. That's just like feels very obscure and could be very very good i mean i'm gonna go as mole patrol next year <laughs> you're gonna go as mole patrol we'll go on as mole patrol right now joe because we are officially there i mean episode five of westworld here has finally put it official that it seems like there's some double agent shenanigans going on absolutely and we'll get down that path but it's the fact that it's from an outside source is something i don't think you and i expected yeah, well, we don't really know the full extent. I mean, all we really know is the very limited information that Elsie is going to del- is going to deliver to Bernard in this episode, and you know, really just kind of leave us on a cliff there. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. So we'll talk it all through. I've been giving it some thoughts. I'm sure you have as well, Joe. Uh, we know that all of you guys have been giving Westworld a lot of thought. We can tell this because we've gotten a great amount of feedback from you guys, which is so awesome. Really, really cool. We've got a lot of your questions. We've got a lot of your comments and some of your theories that we're going to poke through as Joe and I talk through this episode. But for anyone who does not know how to get your questions in and wants to do that, we highly encourage you to do so. Go to westworld at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. You can also hit us up on our feedback form, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. And of course, Joe and I were always responsive on the Twitters. Joe is at Joe Pinionated, like opinionated with a J in front of it. I'm at Rand Howard. Joe, anything else? That feels like that's a pretty uh, thorough sum up of where we are right now. I think so. Let's just dive in because I have some theories I might want to present at the beginning. Okay, so you've got so- you have a place where you want to begin here, Joe. You've got something. You've got a you've got a spot that you want to start digging around in first. I do. I've been thinking more about Delos, um, you know, the corporation that runs Westworld, and I've been studying the opening title sequence, which I think we can all agree is rather stunning. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we've brought up before, and I think other fans are just as obsessed as we are with the music and the piano playing. It could be code. So I decided to study the actual graphics um, of the opening title sequence. And, you know, they really focus in on it being inside the eye. You know, it, obviously, Westworld is in the eye of the beholder. But then I thought, maybe it's right in front of us. Maybe the Westworld experience is literally a virtual reality upload, and the uh, visitors are in an external location, basically like the matrix and they're being, uh, something's plugged into their brain and they're experiencing Westworld virtually. So you think that we are sort of like in a matrix scenario possibly here where it's not a flesh and blood recreation of what's going on where like William and Logan, no matter what time they're in right now, they are not physically actually there in Westworld according to this theory. That's, that's my new theory. And along the same lines, if I may go to further bit down, I believe now, if if that is true, and this is more of a, a corporate overlord situation, and we'll get further in with um, Logan and Williams' conversation, but what if, Josh, the maze is nothing more than the corporate logo, that there's literally nothing to it? The fact that it was on the coffin, 
I thought, mm, that's just too on the nose. Maybe we are overthinking it. Maybe the maze is literally a corporate logo that's imprinted on side of everyone's skull. But Man in Black doesn't know that. He was told to find a certain particular man. And he believes very strongly that this is a maze when the game could be the jokes on him. I think that one of the things when we're talking about the maze that should be considered more is like the maze as a metaphor rather than like an actual place okay. where where like what you're saying, where you're right, where it's like it could just be like that could be a company logo. I would imagine my read on the man in black right now is that he knows a decent amount about Westworld. So I would imagine that he would know what Delos is. So I would imagine that he would recognize that logo. But I think for, for us and given the prominence of you keep hearing about this maze on the show show over and over again and you can imagine it like sort of building to this big confrontation that takes place literally inside of the maze uh maybe that's really stretching it maybe it's not going to be quite so literal and maybe it is going to be a little bit more figurative um and i think that that's something that i haven't really been giving enough thought to uh but probably something that should be considered here i think as we're talking about about what this maze might be it might be more an idea that is being unlocked rather than a physical concrete place that you are going to solve a problem. Isn't it rather incredible that we are five episodes and we are halfway through the first seasons of a show that we knew virtually nothing about. And it has spawned not only, you know, our podcast, but hundreds seemingly of others, probably about 50 others uh, within five episodes. And so this show is ripe for over analysis as you and I are doing. So I would just like to say to our listeners, new and returning grain of salt, we like to follow various rabbit holes. We, we actually enjoy being wrong and we uh, very rarely enjoy being right. Yeah, very rare. Oh, no, I love being right. Whenever, <laughs> you know, whenever we can get there, that's really good as well. Uh, but okay, so that's a, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I'm I'm probably going down a different hole, and I think that I'm I'm still following this as though uh, that the park itself is physically real. Um, that they are physically there. That there is flesh and blood action going on there. But I do have some questions about like what's you know happening in a corporeal way and what's happening in some sort of whether it's a you want to call it a mental projection or some sort of digital realm or whatever that's going on like when ford gets to talk to dolores or the times that bernard and dolores have talked uh i do wonder about scenes like that i do i do still wonder if that's actually physically happening or if that's a little bit in the head um let's take a broader view before we start diving into the episode a little bit more and just talk about pariah which is like this new place that we are we are entering here in westworld this week where a lot of the action is going to take place in this new town that's very far away from sweetwater not just in terms of miles but also culturally uh (laughs) sweetwater certainly has shootouts on the streets and everything like that and you can uh certainly say that there's a certain uh you know like barbaric quality to that kind of lifestyle but pariah is it's really something else joe uh, I call Pariah Sex Town. Sex Town. Um, <laughs> Pleasure it, Town. We're it, going. Pleasure Town. It has the yes. Eyes Wide Shut Mansion. Yes. Um, wow. I mean, there's spare no expense when it comes to this production, but also um, spare no, there's no room for prudes when you're watching Westworld. What's, no. What I, what I find fascinating is, you know, um, I like to look at Twitter and the night of show like Westworld airs and see what people are talking about. People are far more disturbed, myself included, by the violence on The Walking Dead than the nudity on Westworld. And I think that's a very interesting observation. Like, I don't see a lot of outrage about the nudity. Um, obviously, it served the story to a point. I think a little bit, a little bit of it was excessive. But, um, you know, it certainly set the stage and developed Pariah. What did you think about, you know, the orgy town? 
There's a lot of nudity on this episode of Westworld. <laughs> it's like, hey, just in case you guys uh, forgot that we are HBO, that's right. You know what we do. We are able to, you know, show full frontal anything that you want. Uh, and AMC and FX, they can't do that. So there. Like, it, feel, it like, almost felt like showing off uh, in, in a way. Um, you know, it was really, it was really kind of epic. Uh, just in scale, like it was very, it was wild. It was grand. Uh, the colors were weird. People were painted gold. People were painted red. People were doing things that I'm not comfortable repeating on, (laughs) on the podcast. Uh, suffice to say that it was very weird and very unsettling. And I think that that really fit thematically with what was supposed to be going on for our characters in the scene. Like William and Logan are breaking up essentially in this scene. Um, Dolores is, is further following her own her own tail you know chasing her own tail down the rabbit hole and literally talking to herself at one point and feeling like she's being called and drawn towards something um and you know that whole real epiphany and a true transformation for dolores from uh rancher's hand you know the daughter of a rancher the damsel and now she's something more than a damsel after she shoots the people that she shoots so i think that there was something really surreal about this whole sequence to begin with and i think that sort of dreamlike quality is enhanced by having this massive sex party here in the middle of sex town going on. <laughs> well, if you think about it, I mean, a corporate programmer designed this knowing that, you know, your, your strongest carnal desires, they put them all in one location. And just like in most towns, you have to go to the outskirts of town to find a strip club, uh, to find I mean, less than savory clubs, I might uh, add. They Indeed. make this on the outskirts of Westworld. Like, they, you know, I think Logan noted, like, this is, this is further out. This is a place you have to travel to and what to go to. Yeah, no, the further out you go from Sweetwater, the more dangerous it gets, like the seedier it gets. It's like Las Vegas, but right. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been to Vegas in a while, Joe, and I know that whatever happens there is supposed to stay there, but I haven't heard, uh, you know, like the same quality Westworld type of crazy bachelor <laughs> party stories leaking out of there. But I guess you never know. You never, you never know. Truly know. You never truly know. Uh, so, Pariah, it's on the map now. This is a place where, you know, this is, you know, El Lazo, who we've been hearing about as of episode four. Turns out that that's Lawrence. Lawrence is, uh, you know, Clifton Collins Jr. character. He was with Ed Harris one minute now he's here the next i'm sure that we'll have things to say about that later on in the podcast but he's a friendly face he's a familiar face here that we're seeing in pariah uh but other than that just like in terms of the culture of pariah and the importance of it do you did you pick up on anything was there anything that you really really caught your interest not really because i was too busy focused on you know the outlaw the revolutionaries and lawrence's people uh and then the sex dungeon the sex dungeon was hard to miss. That was very difficult. I also like the confederales, not in terms of their philosophy or anything like that or their mission, but I don't know. Were you a prison break fan, Joe? I was not. Uh, for the people that were Prison Break fans, maybe you recognize uh, former correctional officer Brad Bellick. Uh, I forget the name of the actor. Wade something, I believe, is the leader of the confederales, and that made me very happy to see that guy again. He has uh, that face of that guy. Yeah, no, he was great. Like he has, he had, he has a face to play a Confederate mercenary, uh, and I had never known that that was the case. A robot Confederate mercenary, I might add. Right, exactly. Uh, I know it was it was fun to see the game at hand, the long con with the you know the the, the tequila replacing the explosives. Um, you know, it definitely gave us this town more than any so far has given me a real Western feel, which is fun. 
What do you think Logan is thinking in that moment when the Confederales are tossing the explosives at one another and then one of them drops? I mean, he thinks that he can't be killed here. He thinks nothing like that can happen. These robots must have been, what, like programmed to be completely incapable of dropping a ball, and yet here they go ahead and drop a ball? Like, what sort of confidence do you have to have in the system here to be comfortable with these people doing that? That was, like, that for me, it would have been a bridge too far. Right. Well, Logan's a douche canoe, and he... <laughs> douche canoe, yes. Yes, and once again, he illustrated that throughout this episode, and I'm I'm sticking with, you know, you like him more than I do, and you think that I he serves a purpose, a greater purpose. I like... I like him as a character. I don't like the character. Like, I don't right. like him. I like the character. I think the character works for me. And we can agree that Ben Barnes is playing the hell out of it and having a really yes. good time. Yes. Um, but again, I just keep waiting for him to be the first human to be killed, perhaps since Arnold, because he's a douche canoe, and it's too obvious. Yeah, I think that, you listen, what we see by the end of the episode here, uh, you know, him and William, they really have it out. And he's talking to William about how, like, the best day of your life was when you uh, became EVP and walked into my office. And William loses his cool. And Logan, you know, he doesn't beat up Logan. And Logan's like, yeah, that's what I thought. You know, just calling him a coward without saying it outright. Uh, and then he gets captured by the people who've been betrayed by Lawrence. And William just lets it happen. Um, so I can't imagine. Imagine the next time we see Lawrence, it's good, or not Lawrence, uh, the next time we see Logan, that it's going to be pretty. Uh, I think that that's probably going to be a pretty bad situation for him. Uh, and I, I think if you're trying to track, like, who is the first human character, uh, like, the first main human character that we could lose, I would also put money on Logan. Like, I feel like Logan is a mid-season one, uh, entering the end game type of season one casualty that you see on shows like this. Doesn't that sound about right? Like, doesn't that feel like that's the type of character Logan is? It is, or they're totally throwing us for a loop with him. I mean, what if, if, but we're going to go down that, that hole, if William is the man in black eventually, maybe he turns black hat by killing Logan. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we'll talk about the man in black theories, but I mean, we've we've certainly discussed them in the podcasts here in the past of this idea that some people have floated out that I think is really starting to catch on that William and the man in black are the same guy and William and Logan's story is playing out um, many years before the man in black story is playing out. The Ed Harris storyline is playing out. And I think that there were definitely some points in favor of that theory in this episode, a lot of points in favor of that theory, in my opinion. Um, but one of them, I think think just sort of in terms of it as like a broader thematic look is William taking steps towards Black Hat. You know, he shoots and kills a man to defend Dolores, and that's one thing, but then he swivels around and kills another guy. He just shoots the guy. He yeah. doesn't like, you know, it's not like that was a guy who was about to shoot him. He could have turned the gun on him and said, like, on the ground. He shot that guy, and then he has almost no trouble at all shooting the guy who's about to kill Logan. But it's that second guy that really, to me, feels like that's a turn towards the Black Hat. So if you are tracking this William could one day be the man in black theory i think that you're seeing a little bit of that heel turn start right here in this sort of wagon theft auto uh scene that we've got here i like the way jimmy simpson is playing logan because you see him struggling with one minute embracing and enjoying the there are no consequences to killing robots and the next minute fearing for robot robot fearing for dolores's life knowing that she's a robot in his heart but wanting to protect her yeah, he, I think that he's a fascinating character because he was so resistant to Westworld and he's really falling for it. Right. And, you know, I don't know if, if Dolores is being used for that purpose. 
Yeah, I you know, and Logan is the one who posited that, you know, back in episode four. He's like, why do you think she's out here in the middle of nowhere? She's here for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've been watching you. They're monitoring you. They know that this is, you know, the one thing that's caught your interest. How do you think that happened? It's not a coincidence. Right. Um, and I think to be determined on whether that theory that Logan puts out there is right. I mean, I don't think that it's impossible that this is, um, you know, planned. Uh, I think that it's totally possible that this is more than just a happy accident that these two star-crossed lovers <laughs> who are not even, you know, the same species uh, are are suddenly on this destiny quest together. I think it could be that Dolores could have been put on this path. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. Nothing is, allegedly. Um, can we go back to Lawrence for one minute? Yeah, of course. I'd love to go back to Lawrence. <laughs> when he's El Lazo in Pariah, Dolores side-eyes him twice. First when they first walk up to him at the table and then inside the mansion, the sex mansion. Right. Um, she says, you know, she it seems triggered by, by El Lazo. She says, there's something you're seeking. I know what that feels like. I'm seeking it too. If you let us, I know we can help you. And she seems to snap out of a trance as soon as she delivers that. And in the mansion, he, she's just giving him stink eye. It's like he's key to something and unlocking her memory or her flash forwards. It seems like they've got history, which would make sense. I mean, Dolores being the oldest host in the park has probably crossed paths with just about everybody or at least has had the opportunity to. Right. Um, and it certainly wouldn't, you know, it would not be a leap for me, I think, to to assume that Lawrence and Dolores had at some point in the past had some sort of crossover, whether it's because they were part of some shared storyline um, or if Lawrence is one of the older hosts as well. Um, maybe, you know, they were, you know, they were brought up together in like a initial training and sort of those visions that we saw back. And I think it was episode three when Ford is explaining to Bernard, like the early days of the park and everything like that. Maybe you could see something like that. Uh, but it feels like there's definitely some sort of connection between these two. I picked up on that as well, that whether or not it's something that's like going to be very important moving forward down the road or something that was pretty important that they share in their past. It definitely felt like these two, this is not their first rodeo together, that these two have definitely been in the same space before. Maybe not pariah, but definitely somewhere. Well, and they're both connected to Man in Black and his storylines and his many adventures over the 30 years. Right, right. Um, Yeah, totally. And I mean, since we're talking about Lawrence, like, kind of curious, Joe, that the Man in Black slits Lawrence's throat, Lawrence dies, and then in like three scenes after that, if that, Lawrence pops up again as this established crime lord here in Pariah. Doesn't that feel a little convenient timing-wise unless we're talking about two different timelines? There's no linear presentation of any story whatsoever on Westworld from scene to scene. So I think they are effing with us. And (laughs) I think that at this point in the writing of the scripts, they realized if they don't, if they were intending for people to think that William is a man in black, someone in the writer's room probably suggested that that's what people are going to think. And now they're messing with us because you're right. It was very shortly thereafter and it's a total mind F. And I mean, I love it, but I'm still with you. I still think it's possible. I still think because it's not presented in a linear fashion that William can turn into the man in black in the future. 
Yeah. All right. So I think it's worth stopping down here for some feedback on this because we definitely got a lot about that. And just the idea that you're bringing up now is something that Geek Furious brought up. Uh, Geek Furious writes in, hey, Josh and Joe, Joe and Joe, Jojo. Anyway, (laughs) he's just trying to figure out what to call us. I like Jojo. I think that's good. Uh, Anyway, so this week the show hammered home that the man in black equals William idea a tad too much, don't you think? I've been a big fan of this theory, but they're making it too easy. Sure, R plus L did equal J, but that was nearly two decades of book theorizing in half a decade for the show it can't be that simple on westworld can it are they setting us up is this all a sham it's a sham isn't it the biggest mole is the show or us are we the moles oh my god we've been on mole patrol and all this time the call was coming from inside the house so that's where geek furious is with that and i think that that's something that's worth considering is a lot of people are following down this idea that the man in black and william are the same guy and maybe the show is a lot smarter than we are and thinks you know assumes that we're going to make those assumptions and then has some sort of rug that they're going to pull out from under us in a way that no one saw coming. That would be awesome. That would be great if there's, you know, if you can look back and see the clues that were there that set that up so that it made sense within the universe. Um, But again, as you and I talked about last week, Joe, like I don't think that there's anything wrong when you see the bullets coming if it's, you know, firing off like a really great shot. And if people are now just, you know, kind of putting together the William and Man in Black thing because it's really very much there on the show, then I feel like that's going to be very earned and that, to me, is not going to take away from what could be a very cool reveal. And if it turns out that we're completely wrong, I'm okay with that, too. I, I look yeah, I'd be forward great to, with that, too, yes. I'd look forward to figuring out at the end of 10 episodes, if we get any kind of answers to putting the puzzle pieces together, to rewatching it and trying to see where they all fit. Yeah. Um, we had another comment. This was in from Kyle, who said that this last episode made it seem very likely that William is the young man in black, which was highly speculated since the second episode. With so many different media platforms and fan sites quickly figuring out shocking twists for shows like Westworld and Mr. Robot, has binge watching become the best way to watch television? Uh, which I think is, you know, certainly an argument in favor of binge watching. Joe, mm-hmm. I do, I do think that when you're in the week to week era, and if you're so into a show that you dig into it with reading recaps, reading theory articles, listening to podcasts. Uh, I do think that that's when you start getting, you know, like there's a, there's a bit of a collective mentality, some, some hive minding going on as a lot of like-minded people start thinking about the same topic and start looking at the show and start putting pieces together that I do think that you're going to arrive at some answers. Um, I believe uh, one, one of the people involved at HBO gave an interview this past week talking about how, uh, how, how impressed he is that some some fan theories are pretty close to correct, uh, that people are a lot smarter than maybe he gave credit for. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that's why we have podcasts and stuff like this. So I'm not complaining. Um, you know, I think, I think all of this is, uh, I think that's a really exciting part of the Westworld journey for me so far. Uh, and I, I think that we're onto something here. I think that the people who think that this is happening, it feels, it feels pretty legit to me here. I think that the Lawrence, the Lawrence inclusion is not quite a smoking gun for me, Joe, Mm -hmm. but a real, strong argument in favor of the William and Black theory. Here's a quote from this episode that threw me for a loop with our theory. The man in black said when this place started, I opened you, I opened one of you up, the million little perfect pieces and then they changed you. So, unless we see William open up a host you know, I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? I thought it was very purposeful that they put that in there, talking about Man in Black when he first started his journey. We're seeing William at the beginning of his journey so it remains to be seen if he opens up a host. 
Well, watch and, you know, wait and watch when, when we get to the moment where William and Dolores are traveling together and they run into a Teddy and William goes full black hat and shoots Teddy and then opens up Teddy and, like, it's going to be a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And, like, it will have been laid out here. Like, that's just, like, that's my concern. Like, I feel like, I feel like that's <laughs> still, like, I feel like something really, really gnarly like that could still happen. Um, so I don't think a line like that necessarily throws a wrench into anything. We, you know, we're still following William story we don't know where it's going yet uh we're only through five episodes of the season there's so much season still left to go uh even if we are on the other side of the mountain now that william hasn't you know traversed yet so i think that there's still potential for something like that to really connect back i hope so because now i'm already thinking ahead you know is it is it mave is it dolores who does he have to open up and why this this yeah. is, this is how our minds work yeah, so it could be cool. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of possibility with something like that. But I think another you know another piece that's in favor of this theory panning out this week is when they get to Pariah for the first time, and William and Logan are talking about the park, and Logan's giving a little bit of history. I think some people were thrown off by the fact that Logan references Arnold, uh, you know, not by name, but talks about the same history that Ford has talked about a lot already. Uh, that you know there were there were two founders, and one of those guys is dead. Uh, no one even has a picture of him or anything like that. Uh, they say he died in the park. So Logan is talking about that here with William. And that would make you think that, okay, so then this isn't the first, you know, earliest days of the park. Um, but I think timeline-wise, we hear in this episode when Dolores and Ford are talking that Arnold died 34 years ago. Uh, we've heard earlier in this show that there was a crit failure or there was like a really horrible incident that happened in Westworld about 30 years ago. So I'm proposing that the William and Logan stuff is happening 30 years ago. The park has already existed for at least four years. Arnold has been dead for four years at that point. Um, and Logan being able to even like conjure up the ghost of a guy like Arnold, even if he can't spit out the guy's name, I think suggests to me that he's got to be closer to that event than where we are in you know the timeline where we're talking about um you know where ford is telling bernard this story about how he's been you know arnold has been forgotten from the record books and everything like that so i feel like these are a few smoking guns pointing in the direction of two timelines at least and you notice that uh logan said that uh, arnold killed himself which is not we have not heard that yet we just heard that he died in the park Right, that it was an accident. So is we what, don't know like, the what official the truth report is. was. Yeah. Right. So, so who knows? Uh, so I don't know. I think that you know, there's going to be a turn here. We've been talking about that. We talked about that last week. Of like, the Nolans like to play with time. <laughs> uh, you know, and they like to play with like twists in the narrative. So I do think that there's going to be some sort of turn that's coming up. And this episode definitely pointed in favor of that. I like that we can see it coming. And then if we're wrong, that's also cool. I'm yes. happy in in either direction. Um, so much with Dolores this week. Joe, uh, a crazy amount of Dolores, a really incredible episode for Evan Rachel Wood, who again just is able to like go from from mode to to mode to like really really switch really hard, uh, you know, from you know kind of emotionless to very delirious and excited and you know happy and all of these different emotions. It's really ridiculously impressive. And she, this episode alone is really a showcase for Dolores. I feel like Oh yeah, she turns it on and off with her eyes and it's, I mean, it's, there's some subtle nuance to the performance. And I think she's 
kind of spectacular in this. Um, and I highly recommend, she did an interview this week, I think with uh, Seth Meyers, one of the t- late night talk show hosts. And she talks about, you know, doing her first team with Tony Hopkins completely naked. And she was just mesmerized by him and didn't even realize she was naked. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, I got to talk to her for THR and she said the same exact thing. You know, nice. it's just like, it's like the same. Yeah, it's this story that like a, James Marsden had the same story of like, I'm in a scene, I'm in a glass cage of emotion. Uh, I am wearing no clothes. I am standing opposite Anthony Hopkins and it's like the best day ever. <laughs> uh, so they everyone seems to really enjoy being naked across from Anthony Hopkins, at least on the set of Westworld. Exactly. So that's, that's very nice to hear. Where do you want to start with Dolores? Because it is a huge episode well, for her. I, I want to start when we first see her you know i have been saying that she's flashing forward that when she sees the church and the people being shot um we have you know talked about this back and forth and the fact that in the one of the timelines presented ford has not finished building the new narrative which includes the old church so you know you argued that it's a flashback i still say it is the shape of things to come that it is a flash forward Okay, and what what leans in what lends itself in that direction for you? They keep from showing the church. They keep showing the church, and 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 to me, that I think in my mind it's on the same timeline as Ford currently still building the new narrative. So you think that she is seeing glimpses of what he is going to end up unearthing and revealing later on in the season? Yes, and I couldn't explain how or why. I just like it. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I think it's cool. Um, I I still feel like that's some incident from the past. Um, like whether it's whether it's some you know birthing ground of some you know if, if this is where the the hosts you know was there some sort of inciting incident of hosts experiencing consciousness or something like that. I do think that roads are certainly pointing toward that church. Uh, but what is, I mean, what is the past if we're talking about a show that has, you know, all these different timelines going on? Uh, so hard to know, like, exactly where on the timeline this church incident would take place. But I think I like your idea. I like mine, too. For that one, I think we're going to have to see where it goes. Uh, we'll just have to, I imagine that we'll have some sort of answer by the end of season one. Probably. And I, I'm totally expecting to be wrong, but I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> she says a couple of very key lines at the beginning, which is, doesn't everybody want to change their life? And it seems like the whole world is calling to me in a way it hasn't before these are not lines that have been programmed in um you know this is part of the glitch yeah well no she's she's definitely she's really off of her loop you know it's it's not nothing that she's you know this far away from Sweetwater and this far away from her from her farm you know her family farm uh she's very very far away from her narrative right now uh so she kind of has to improvise and she kind of has to experience new things and especially like if something is already happening to her if somebody has already put her on this path um then this is really only going to exacerbate that stuff Right. I agree. Um, boy, we should just go right to the scene with Dr. Ford because (laughs) I mean, well, that, that scene, that scene's really incredible, but nothing for the fact that beforehand, like what causes her to pass out is she's at this like nighttime parade in Pariah and she's seeing like all these skeleton people. Like she sees the two skeletons that are hanging out with David S. Pumpkins in the crowd. (laughs) Like, it's a really fun, you know, lineup of people that she's seeing. And then she sees herself. She sees a second Dolores. Joe, how many Doloreses are there on Westworld? I'm still going to say one. Just one. Just the one Dolores. So is this like she's just, like, tripping balls and she's just, like, seeing, like, an acid projection of her own self? Listen, it's not just sex town. I imagine it's drug town as well. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I don't know. Burning pariah. Exactly. I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, Burn, burning host is what it would be called in host, the Westworld, yes. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is just part of her, her sort of lucid dream, seeing herself and following herself as the white rabbit, you know, uh, and winding up at the psychic, seeing the maze card. Uh, that was rather something. Yeah, yeah. So, you, I mean, do you think that that stuff is, you know, that is that all visionary? Is that all sort of uh, ethereal? It's not a physically tangible thing that she's seeing? You don't think that there's like a second physical Dolores in the mix? I don't, but I'm sure tons of other people do. Yeah, I'm sure. That, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that the idea that there could possibly be multiple versions, like physically, of some of these people, I I understand why why that might make sense. Um, you know, I could I could see why there could be multiple versions of the same host. This was written in by Jason Zelling, who says, in, re- in reference to Dolores and her ability to be in two places at once sometimes, I'm almost certain that each host has a backup clone at the command center that allows text to transfer consciousness from one body to another for diagnostics and code tuning, etc. This allows them to exist with the guests in sleep mode while simultaneously existing with Bernard at the command center. So that's sort of Jason's idea for how like multiple host bodies could possibly exist. Um, I mean, certainly would not be the first science fiction show, Joe, where there were robots with complicated personalities and they had like thousands of different copies of their own physical form. That would be a great twist. I'm, I politely agree to disagree, but I think it would be great to find that out. Yeah, so who knows? TBD, we will see how many Doloreses there are by the end of Westworld Season 1. You're going to stick with one. I'll go with two just to give myself the advantage. Okay, fine. I'll take two. Okay. Uh, All right. So let's talk about the Dolores and Ford scene because it's excellent. It's very, very good. Uh, He starts, you know, they're saying that they're in his dream. Now, is that like, is he saying that for her purposes? Like, you know, she doesn't know what's real. She doesn't know precisely where she is. She's basically under his command in this, in this naked box. And do you think that they're either he's both physically there and she is both physically there? I I do I lean toward the two of them both physically being there because you know she has the line about you're hurting me when when Ford is grabbing her hand. Yes. Um and I want to just believe that that's like a physical reality, but I don't know, it could be is he tweaking some part of her psyche from some digital space? I guess not impossible, but I want I want to believe that what I'm seeing with my own two eyes in this scene is physically actually happening. Okay, I like it. Um Some of the dialogue that Dr. Ford has, when he says, do you remember the man I used to be? I'm sure you remember Arnold, the person who created you. Somewhere under all those updates, he's still there perfectly preserved. Your mind is a walled garden. Even death cannot touch flowers blooming there. Wow. Yeah, no, that's poetic. That's really, <laughs> really, really beautiful. I mean, we talk about how uh, was it was Bernard who said to Dolores, like, that's very pretty. Where did you learn that? And she adapted it from a script about love. Uh, like, there's, you know, there's nothing like the like the genuine human article, perhaps, because as far as we know, Ford is just a man. Uh, we could, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of what Ford could or could not be, uh, but he really just comes out with that, and that's just such a such a gorgeous way of describing 
describing the situation, but also very scary and loaded. Uh, what? What? How are you picking that apart? There's a lot to a lot to take in terms of Ford's interpretation of how Dolores's consciousness works, or at least how her her programming works. I feel like Ford did his best effort to wipe her clean, the slate clean of all remnants of Arnold, but he knows that. Like, uh, logistically, that's impossible. That's why he's preserved under the updates. Uh, you know, I, I feel like for some reason, uh, out of all the hosts, she's off limits to him and untouchable. And maybe it's because of the Arnold of it all. Um, you know, and we'll get to the end of the scene, but it could it be that Arnold's the one speaking to her or that she's speaking to in the dark. Right. Well, that seems to be his theory. Right. Has he been speaking to you again? Right. And, you know, she, she says, like, uh, when was the last time you talked to him? And she gives the, the full date of 34 years, 32 days, seven hours. <laughs> and Ford knows immediately the day Arnold died. Uh, that's how, that's how, that's, you know, like, that's how keenly Ford thinks about Arnold. So I think that says a lot about the relationship for sure. When he, when she said he told me I was going to help him destroy this place. So they not only wiped her memories clean of Arnold, but her, her mission, her, desires her emotions you know it's she was had a complete reset after arnold died i'd be curious to know if she had a role in it and in, in how he died or where you know there obviously is this very strong connection between ford arnold dolores and i would imagine the man in black just going back logistically yeah well especially if we're watching that relationship develop in the past mm-hmm. joe especially if that's what we're seeing there um i th- i think that the i think that this is right i think that you know this idea of ford can't completely get the arnold out of dolores uh and it's it's certainly revealing that ford is talking to dolores and giving credit to Arnold as her creator. Uh, you know, he's talking about Arnold, the person who created you, and he's not taking credit for that. He's giving Arnold full credit in that moment. Um, he also, you know, saying to Dolores, your mind is a walled garden. Uh, to, to use that kind of language with a host, when we've seen Ford talk about hosts as little more than objects mm-hmm. that he gets to, you know, be a god over, to say to Dolores, your mind... That feels uh, that feels like a pretty big deal to me to concede that a host could even have a mind to even describe something like a mind doesn't feel like that's nothing. That feels like that's pretty big. Dolores is uniquely and miraculously special. Ah, uh, yes, I do think Dele- so. Delesmond, <laughs> to Faraday, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I like that. I like that he says. You've been content in your little loop. It's like he tries to belittle her, but it doesn't really work. Um, if you did take on a bigger role, would you be a hero or a villain? And that struck, struck me because I believe it was Logan in another part of the episode said there are no heroes and villains here. Right. Well, he sa- he says it uh, to he says it to William here after William has shot those people, and Logan's like, "What? You're upset that now you can't call yourself a hero? Don't you know there are no heroes and villains here? It's just like how you play with the game." Yep. And William William is offended by that. He says, "I think that says more about you than anything else, Logan." Um, but no, that's interesting. It's an interesting observation. Well, yeah, because you know it's very rare that they repeat words in this show. And Lost, sorry, ding, drink if you had Lost as a reference. Drink, drink. Um, Lost didn't. Also have a lot of exposition and it was very rare that they repeated words, but they usually had connections and meetings. And so that's how I watch Westworld now. Why would they mention heroes and villains in two different scenes? Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for like key phrases that are, that are being, you know, 
echoed across scenes. Um, certainly that comes up here. Would you be the hero or the villain? And I think that the idea of black hats and white hats, and we've joked about, you know, maybe the true answer is the gray hat. Uh, and the great Sarah Freeman had tweeted our way <laughs> earlier in this week to say like my favorite part of the episode, I'm paraphrasing Sarah was basically that moment, even if it was a little on the nose where Dolores has her costume change and now she is wearing literally a gray hat and maybe Maybe the answer isn't as straightforward as there's a, you know, it's a binary black or white, good or evil, hero or villain. Uh, maybe people and creatures that are close to people but are not quite people maybe sort of, uh, maybe there's something to the fact that these are complicated entities that we're talking about. And it's not just one answer or the other. Absolutely. I agree with Sarah on the uh, gray hat. I laughed out loud. That was great. It's very fun. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, back to Ford and Dolores. You know, one of the things that caught my eye was he said, there's no one left who was there. No one understands as we understand. So do you think he's referring not just to hosts, but to his staff? I mean, I don't know how long long Bernard's been there. He talks to the old cowboy host as his friend about down in cold storage. Um, It does not seem like there is anyone from 30, 34 years ago. Do you think that she is literally the only one? Well, you know, he said in his conversation with Teresa in episode four that I'm not the sentimental type. And then, like, you know, when he's saying, like, don't worry, it's not a retrospective and the bulldozer comes towards the restaurant. (laughs) But I think that you pointed out something really, really keen. And we see him talking to old Bill in this episode, uh, the second oldest host in Westworld that we heard about back in the premiere, played by Michael Wincott of The Crow. Great actor. Love that guy. Um, In, like, a really, like, sort of his, like, twitchy rusty almost body movement where he seems like a a tin man who could use some oil uh i really loved that scene um but he's talking to that guy he's you know he's telling this very personal story about like his dog and his brother and when they were young and like destroying the cat and everything and it's kind of revealing and scary and and really good stuff um so he's having this heart to heart there and now here he is with dolores and trying to like pick her brain as much as he can and you do get the sense that even he feels like this is a little bit fruitless uh and when he says this line that you just pointed out of like there's no one else left who was there known who understands as we understand and then when she says are we very old friends and ford says no i wouldn't say friends dolores i wouldn't say that at all oh my gosh And then he gives this expression where he looks like he just got shot in the stomach, where he just got gut shot and he's going to be bleeding out for days. So Ford can call himself not the sentimental type all he wants, but that feels like a shield to me. And I think when we're seeing him in his scene with old Bill and just the fact that he's talking to old Bill and just the fact that he's talking to Dolores and what we get out of these two conversations, and especially this Dolores one, does strike me that that Ford is perhaps somebody who is, if not pining for... For the old days than feeling intense pain from the old days. Uh, and I think that that's a, a key, very, very pivotal, pivotal, if not the pivotal aspect of this character, which is kind of cool. Without a doubt. And, you know, going, we, we kind of skipped over the, the beginning scene with him. It's old Bill, right? That's the character's name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's, I, I thought it was an obvious metaphor for man in black's journey, you know, and when he said, his brother took the dog off the leash. I went, okay, I've had this theory that the man in black is Dr. Ford's brother. And that this is, you know, I always knew there was a familial connection, or at least I assume so. Um, and talking about the game of it all, of the, the literally the cat and the, the dog, it just made it seem like he was talking about himself and the man in black. 
That's a good observation. Um, like the story that he was talking about, how me and my brother and our dog, you're taking that as like a, a suggestion that the man in black could be that brother. Right. It seems like after the game, after the maze, after the center is found, both Robert Ford and the man in black really have nothing left and they're finished. You know, they're both probably around the same age than a couple of years. I feel like this is a 30-year game that's heading toward the end for one or both of them. Yeah, I, I, I would be much uh, much happier to hop on that than, like, the man in black and Arnold are the same guy. Right. Uh, at this point, right? Because I, I feel like we, we see the man in black talk about Arnold enough that it, it would be weird if he was just talking about himself. Right. And if, like, Anthony Hopkins was like, why do you keep talking about yourself in the third person, Arnold? You know, like, I feel like we would right. get some sort of, you know, exchange there. But I think that you could read the scene between the man in black and Ford uh, that happens later in the episode, the really fantastic scene, the first scene between Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins on this show, you could you could read that with some sort of like sibling rivalry or some sort of familial tension in there as well. I totally have from day one, even though they haven't met until this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're clearly connected. Um, and, you know, we're kind of skipping ahead, but just to get to that scene, uh, there's it's very clear that these two have history together. It's just what kind of history do they have is still unclear to me. Like, I'm not ready to pull the trigger and say I think that they're related by blood uh, or are they professionally linked? Are they old friends? Uh, could the man in black be Arnold's brother? Like, I mean, what, you know, so many different possibilities, but they definitely have a strong link between them. Them, and there doesn't seem to be a ton of love lost between them either, considering that the man in black brandishes his knife and threatens to see what it, what, what it would look like if you got to spill out Robert Ford's guts all over the table. And thankfully, Robert Ford has a teddy handy because that was not <laughs> happening. No. And I still I still like to speculate that the man in black has a, um, an illness and he's going to he wants to get he wants to find the center of the maze if there is one. And get to the center of the game of 30 years because he is terminally ill. I like that. I still like that theory a lot. I think that that's really cool. Um, but I, I think that what we what we get here is I, – I, I can't tell what Ford's take on the man in black's mission is. You know, he says, like, far be it for me to interfere with a journey of self-discovery or something to that effect. Yes. Uh, why is he letting the man in black just, like, run amok here? Is it because, like, he figures the man in black will lead – Ford to what Ford himself is looking for you know is it does he think that it's a fruit like isn't a fruitless exercise does he feel like he's got the heads up he's got the the advantage on the man in black no matter what the man in black does uh, I'm really curious about that I'm really curious about this dynamic between these two I mean does he have free reign in the park and the only one because of the money he spends on it and the longevity of his visits or is it because he's his brother these are things that I think about you know yeah, well, I think, you know, in terms of, like, more, like, background stuff to think about with the man in black and who he is and what he is outside of the uh, outside of the park, uh, you know, we got that scene in episode four where the guy, like, fans out on the man in black. The fan in black, like, really nerds out on him, and he says, like, you saved my sister's life, uh, you know, is what, basically what he intimates. And he talks about the man in black's foundation, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people have been pointing to the fact that the man in black – 
kills Lawrence in this episode, drains him of his blood, and then gives a blood transfusion to Teddy uh, as a sign of like, okay, so is this guy a doctor? Uh, so I don't know what that, I, you know, if, if, that, if that's actually something or if he's just been coming to Westworld so many times that like he knows how to be a badass and do some <laughs> field medicine, who really knows? Uh, but I did think that that was a curious detail as well, especially when combined with what we know about the fact that he has a foundation that saved a woman's life. Uh, wouldn't be a huge leap to think that maybe he's a medical professional. Absolutely, or a scientist, for sure. Right, yeah. Um, so I like that. I think that's cool. Uh, what about the fact that, like, Ford basically just says a word to Teddy, and then Teddy is totally okay again? Did you notice this? Oh, I did. And, and going back to the beginning of the, of the Ford and Man in Black scene for a second, when Teddy and Man in Black are at the table, I don't know if you noticed this, the second Ford walks in, the music stops. He stops the world. He stops the music. He brings the, the booze over with the glasses. He's at the table. The entire time they're talking, there's no music. The second that, I forget what, what word Ford said when he got up to leave, the music started playing in triple time and there was no one at the piano. Yeah, yeah. Like everything just like sped back up. So he does have that pause, fast forward, rewind capability it seems magical. It seems supernatural. Um, it seems controlled by him within the park, which leads credence to my matrix theory that he's bit, literally a digital insertion and has that kind of power, you know, uh, from a remote location. Again, we'll I'm going down that rabbit hole, but yes, he definitely triggers Teddy with certain words, including the word Dolores. Yeah, well, the magic word, you mean. Yes. That is apparently the one. I love that. I just love the look on Ed Harrison's face, too, <laughs> when he sees how quickly that worked. It's like, there it is, the magic word. Uh, just a really, really great moment. But clearly, like, even without a snap of his fingers, Robert Ford can do just about anything here. He's protected by at least Teddy. I would imagine that many of the other hosts would fight on his behalf at his command just because he's able to do that, um, which makes him a very formidable person and i do think that you see that all throughout the scene um and as far as like being able to just like this was written into us by our good friend brendan fitzpatrick i said did ford just magically heal or fix teddy just by touching him on the shoulder how in the world does that work um like i i feel like ford could probably i don't know if he could just like you know physically heal teddy's wounds i doubt that but he probably can like control teddy's bravery levels his like pain tolerance and things like that so he can essentially just fix the guy up with little more than just like a little bit of retweaking of the man's code we certainly saw in episode three ford upload the memories of wyatt to to teddy in like the blink of an eye and suddenly teddy had this very very vivid backstory where none existed before uh, so whatever Ford is able to do, like he could do it really fast. And that's almost, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's like the scariest part that like he can just turn a character into another character without even snapping his finger. I thought it was very telling too, that Teddy doesn't recognize Ford. Now we've seen them talk in the glass, in the glass cage, uh, down at HQ. You've seen Dolores talk to Ford. You know, it seems like maybe they get a memory wipe as if like, like Bernard says to Dolores, we've never had this conversation. Have we, you know, I thought it was interesting that Teddy didn't recognize him. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, 
yeah, I think that there's there's a thing with these with these memories. Like they just like they don't cling on to all of it. You know, it's it takes a lot of jogging to get people to recognize each other, which must be frustrating working in Westworld. I would be <laughs> that would really bother me if like I was the man in black and Lawrence didn't recognize me the fifth time I was there. I'd be pretty peeved. Right, and then I noticed that the man in black, uh, you know, embellished his story about Wyatt to Teddy. He added that Dolores was you know kidnapped when we you know I think that. Uh, I believe it was Ford who said, yeah, that, was, that wasn't really part of the narrative. Right. Yeah. He's like, oh, that seems tacked on that last <laughs> bit. But it was so he could get Teddy to come along. Dolores is the magic word. It's true. I would, I would follow along for Dolores. I would as well. We all would at this <laughs> point. I think we all would. Uh, one thing I feel like we – well, there's a couple of things with the Man in Black storyline that I don't, I don't want to leave. Why do you think he kills Lawrence in order to save Teddy? What is it about Teddy that he thinks is you know, worth keeping and Lawrence is now he's fulfilled his use? I am not quite sure. The only thing I could think of uh, at the moment was he knows from his many visits to the park that Teddy and Dolores have a connection, that he would be more useful than Lawrence when it comes to Dolores. So that's assuming then that the man in black does believe that whatever his, you know, his fate is running toward probably is going to involve Dolores on some level. Yes, that's, that's, that's the, uh, the, the lane I'm traveling in. I like that. I think that's cool. Uh, you know, that would certainly, you know, put some context to the scenes between the Man in Black and Dolores in the first episode of the whole show, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about already. Like, could there be another look at what's really happening inside the barn? Uh, but also even beyond that is when the Man in Black picks up the can of food for Dolores and says, like, I've got other things to do. See you around. Right. Uh, like, you know, like that being like not necessarily even a goodbye, but more of like, I'll see you later when we both get to the maze type of deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's who knows how many times. The man in black has been to the park. How many times he's used Lawrence to a certain point in the story to get him where he needs to go. When, what did you think about the fact that we saw our young little British boyfriend, uh, again, this little child who keeps running around and popping up in these strange places and is here to fetch some water from the Creek far away for our good friend, the man in black. Did you like seeing this guy again this week? I was a little bit thrown to see Minnie Robert Ford robot, Minnie Robert robot. <laughs> so you're still sticking to that. you still think that this is a little Robert Ford. This I, is a, yeah. I also noted that the man in black wasn't at all surprised to see him whereas Lawrence was. And I feel like he, he serves a purpose in the man in black uh, journey. I just can't quite put my finger on it, but if it is his brother, he's seeing his brother as a young man and he's seen him along the last 30 years and, and uh, you know, knows how to use him in the park. Yeah. Well, I think the read that I got from that was like, it's not even, it's not so much that like he wasn't surprised that the man in black wasn't surprised. I felt like the man in black saw something strange and because of its strangeness was like, all right, so this is supposed to happen. Like, this is another sign. This is another thing that's pointing me further along the path. And it could be for the reason you're saying where it's like, oh, well, that's Robert as a young boy. And I know this because we were brothers. So I know exactly what he looks like. And that's very weird, which must mean that he is a little robot Robert, Robert, robot Ford, uh, who is who is here to help me along with my journey. Uh, so I, I think that he did like he recognized utility in this person's presence, if not outright recognizing the person itself um but it was cool it was cool to see that character here again i'm totally on that train with you as well that this is a a little mini robert i feel like that's a really good call and i think you get a lot of that from the dialogue between those two characters back in episode two and it's no coincidence in the same episode shortly thereafter that ford meets up with the man in black 
That's right. Yeah. No, no, no mere coincidence at all. Anything else from the man in black and Ford scene that really caught your eye? Um, there was some dialogue. Um, okay. Man in black says, uh, you know, to Teddy, this, the Ford is why you exist. The, and he says the world out there was one of plenty. Every need was taken care of except one purpose. So he uses the past tense. The world was, I don't know if you noticed it uh, in this episode. I have it written down here. He said two very interesting things. Um, he talked about, I'm looking through my notes here. I have to find it. Sorry. Uh, he said things that, that, that caught my eye about, um, I'll see you in another life. Like it was very, okay. very lost. And then, um, maybe in a past he, well, life. He's, yeah. He says that to Lawrence. He says, I'll see you on the other side. Right. Right. And then he says, uh, maybe in a past life. So that struck me that he said those two things. And then in the scene with Ford, he referred to the outside world as a, as a past tense. So then I started thinking again, if they're in the matrix in some remote facility and, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen black mirror. I think you have done a podcast about it. I, well, we have podcasts here on Pusher Recaps from Mike Bloom and AJ Bass, okay. our, our good buddy AJ. Uh, but I myself have not uh, watched. I haven't watched a lot of this current season okay. of Black Mirror. Well, there, Did see that's what I was going to reference. But, but we're not going to talk, talk too much about any story details. From no, any but episodes. it made me think that maybe this is a, a an afterlife upload experience for the man in black maybe he's yeah. already deceased and this experience is either giving him an extension of his life or a place that he has decided to live afterward yeah no i think that that could be interesting uh and i think yeah the world of plenty like and and what is the what is the use for this technology outside of the park we already know that that's an idea that's floating around based on Sizemore and Teresa talking in the premiere and Teresa dressing him down and being like, you're smart enough to know that the board is interested in the technology here for reasons beyond the park, but you can't figure out what it is. So I feel like that has always been on the show from the very, very beginning. Uh, and this could possibly be a wrinkle along that path. I think that's interesting. I just, I, cool. I noticed when the tense changes because it's pretty much all set in the now, no matter what the linear timeline is. Uh, so I definitely noticed when a, a, a tense say, changes in a sentence, especially for someone as key as the man in black. That's all I wanted to point out. Well, I think that, like, you know, if the journey for the hosts is and, like, the, you know, the promise of host technology and, like, what that can mean for people here on this show, like, clearly for the hosts themselves, it's about, you know, discovering existence and achieving independence. You know, I think that those are probably like the ultimate goals, uh, you know, power over one's own life and journey. Um, I think probably for at least some of the humans, like a story like this, this really is, you know, a fountain of youth tale writ large. Uh, so I'd be shocked if at some point at, you know, over the course of the seasons of Westworld, however far this show goes, I'd be shocked if somebody isn't looking at, host technology and the idea of consciousness and uh you know can you can you make these these creatures can you give them like real flesh and blood like you know not just you know physical form but also souls and spirits and all of that yeah uh wouldn't be shocked at all i'd be more shocked if they never go down the route of like somebody deciding that this is the key to eternal life like you could just upload yourself to a host body that's such a that's such a classic thing in science fiction that i'd be really surprised if westworld doesn't touch that at some point down the line right down the line i mean uh again i'm probably very wrong but it's just something to fund a to, to ponder and marinate. Another thing that the man in black said is, you know, to Dr. Ford, I wonder what I find if I opened you up. Now, of course right. you can take that as he thinks he's a host. I took that as 
maybe the key to the end of the maze and the center of the game is something actually inside of Dr. Ford. And he swallowed the key. I mean, not quite literally, but maybe, you know, the there is in the in the logo. For three years, yeah, yes. In the in the maze, there is a little man in the center of the logo. <laughs> little man. There's a little man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying maybe that there, just... it's a person is the key to the end of the game. I just keep thinking about this watch. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that I think that there could be something there. I don't know. I I feel like for for that, I really just read. I read that as the Man in Black and Robert Ford once again. Like I don't think that we're really accusing Robert Ford of uh, of a wide social circle or like you know great social graces. Like I don't think that his social game is really great. Uh, and I I could see there being bad blood between him and the Man in Black. And so the Man in Black holding a knife. At to the guy is like screw you robert ford i'm just gonna like make you feel this tall right in front of you here in your own park and of course you know teddy slams the knife down and everything like that but it felt more just like kind of like a puffing out at the chest to me of like uh you can be you know as in charge of this place metaphysically as you want like with like your magic tricks and everything but come into the come into the bear pit with me robert ford and let's see who walks out of here alive like it felt it felt like you know a real threat of physical violence which is we know one of the man in black's aims is like something with real violence real stakes is what he's looking for totally that's that's more than likely what it is you know just a bunch of dudes puffing their chests out yeah, it, it felt it felt really like very very testosterone heavy on the Man in Blacks and at the very least. And can we just talk about uh, how this will be the Emmy consideration episode for both of those two gentlemen? Oh my god! I mean, who knows? There's so many great scenes like this. Like, I need to stop saying this is the best scene of all time <laughs> because, like, every scene or at least many of these scenes are really, really good. Like, get Hopkins and Jeffrey Wright in a scene together, and that's really good. As we saw in this episode, get Hopkins and Evan Rachel Wood in an episode, and it's a really, really good scene. Uh, of course, Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins together was going to be fantastic. So these—that's one of the great aspects of Westworld. Is its cast is just so killer that you can really throw any combination of people in a room together and. It's going to be a really good scene pretty much every time. I mean, there's, there's um, no weak link here. No, so far, no. I'm trying to think. Like, is there? Eh, Sizemore is a douche, but you know he's been <laughs> he's been missing for several episodes now. So who really cares? Exactly. Um, well, that could be a good uh, segue in because I'm sure we're looking at Sizemore. We're looking at just about everyone we possibly can. Joe, you and I have been on Mole Patrol. Again, Mole Patrol being that we have been suspicious that somebody on the inside might be working against Westworld and trying to push the hosts towards consciousness. Who knows? Like some sort of hidden agenda on the part of one of the staffers here. Um, and in this episode, Elsie finds some very, very scary stuff in the form of like this laser guided satellite uplink thingamabob <laughs> that is stuck inside the stray the arm of the stray not the strain stragoy uh stuck inside the arm of the woodcutter who went missing uh and bashed his own brains in a really really horrific display of violence that this guy had been beaming information about westworld out of the park to parties unknown uh joe mole patrol confirmed Ah, oh, such great mole patrol except that you know it takes elsie out of the running to me that she really did seem unaware however when she brought it to bernard and he barely responded i'm like bernard mole patrol 
Mole Patrol. Yeah, I mean, it's still not possible that Elsie has, like, some sort of, like, third-party yes. plan or, or whatever. Who knows? But, like, I, I think that, like, you should relax a little bit on Elsie, though maybe that's exactly what the show wants, Joe. <laughs> They they want they want us to to go to 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 let our guards down when it comes to Elsie. So I'm not going to do that. Okay. Not all the way. Uh, I think that you have to be you have to be suspicious of every single character that we believe is human at least. You know, like who knows? Like are all of these people humans or some of them secretly hosts as we've suspected all along? But the people that seem to at least work for Westworld, uh, people who who we have been presented at as humans so far. I don't think that there's a single person in the mix that I'm not at least somewhat suspicious of. Absolutely. And that's, I think it's all in the writing and the delivery. I think it's really, really well done because it's just a giant puzzle and it is a board game and we're moving pieces around, you know, mobile patrols over in one corner and the good guys, the heroes and the villains are all separated out and the hosts and the humans. So uh, I, I enjoy the game that we are playing. I would like to say that I was very happy when, Elsie was like, yeah, that carving on the turtle was not Orion. It's a target. Because remember I said, it's not, it's, it's not Orion. It's, it's part of the maze. It's a clue. Right. So I was, I was very happy to see that. Data smuggling out of the park. Um, I really like the reveal that it, it, there is an outside source uh, infiltrating. Uh, I'd be curious, obviously, they have an inside source inserting the GPS systems into the hosts. Right. So, yeah, so there's got to be boots on the ground. Yes. You know, the the only way that works, like the only way that somebody gets like a laser-guided satellite uplink, whatever you want to call it, into that man's arm is if they're here or have access to people here. Um, So, like, who can do that? Who has the ability to pull something like that off? And really, probably like every single main human character we have met at this point in the show probably has the means of pulling that off like either you know i could really pull one over on um you know somebody on like the livestock side and could trick them the way that we saw uh elsie do that in order to get the information in the first place or somebody who has the actual surgical skill themselves but like everyone from bernard Stubbs, uh teresa like all of these people they could physically be involved in this um um, and they certainly could have access to the hosts or could find a way to get access to the host. So it's not really, I don't know, it's its hard to limit it down right now. It's really more, to me, the big deal is like, it could be any one of these people as far as I'm concerned right now. And as long as the story was told correctly, I would buy it. Because I think that everyone, depending on, it's so early in the show that it, it's hard to have like a really fully formed opinion of a character yet. It's right. probably ill-advised to do that because people can change so drastically drastically in the in the span of a couple of episodes uh so i think like the really more significant thing is like as we now know that there is somebody here who has messed with the host or somebody's potentially even who have messed with at least one host to beam information out of westworld to some off-site who knows where um i think that it's it's cool that it really to me it basically could be any of these people no, I, I do love that it is open-ended um, and everyone is a suspect. I think that the, you know, we'll get to Felix and, and Evil Whedon, the two techs um, yes. that are working on Maeve <laughs> and the bird. Evil Whedon, right. for lack of a better name. Um, I think that it shows the ineptitude and the lack of actual 
security and monitoring of the workers. You know, I've noticed it in the park. It's a little lax. It's not 24-7 on every character and host, every every visitor. It seems to me, given what Felix is getting away with and what the hashtag creepy necroperv got away with, um, right. that there is not a lot of monitoring of the actual employees uh, working at Westworld. Thus, it seems to me very feasible that someone is easily uh, working on Mole Patrol there. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, it's very, there seem to be a lot of, you know, a lot of loops for the hosts and a lot of loopholes for the people who are working behind the scenes. Where, like, you could definitely make some, you know, we saw blackmail work in this episode. Uh, There is, you know, just like the whole social engineering thing uh, that could happen here, just like hacking people. Uh, So I I think that there's there's a lot of possibility there. there, Are you especially suspicious of anyone in particular? Like, if you had to put money down on some Somebody who is on the other side of this thing, uh, the person that Elsie is trying to track down, if it's not Elsie herself, like, who do you feel, do you have, like, one strong inclination that there's one person in particular that you're very suspicious of? On the Westworld side or the host's or side or the uh, human side? I suppose it, it depends on, on where your head is at with this. Hmm. I definitely think there is a... I think there's a visitor, and it's not Man in Black, who is working uh, as a spy for someone on the outside. But I feel like Man in Black is too obvious. And I feel like that's whoever it is, uh, is the person who planted the photo at Abernathy Farms and planted Chestnut the Gun for Dolores. And I again, I think it's too obvious to Man in Black, but I feel like there's a person on the inside, there's a person on the Westworld side, and there's a person on the outside. Right, so we don't know who any of these people are. I said that I was suspicious of Stubbs yeah. the other week because he seemed to like be the only person that gave the man in black carte blanche. Now we've seen Ford and the man in black interact, but I'm still not ready to let go of my pet theory about Stubbs. So Stubbs is the guy I've got my eye on right now. I feel like there's something fishy about him. I think also he would be possibly at the nexus of like whatever theories exist between do you want to believe that the William and Man in Black stories are playing out in different timelines? And I think that you kind of have to account for Stubbs being unaging. Uh, I think that he's involved in the William timeline. I'm stretching my brain to remember that. Um, And, you know, he makes a joke about being a host at one point. Maybe it's not so funny, Joe. <laughs> maybe he true maybe he truly is a host uh so i'm 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 still looking at triple h i'm still looking at the third hemsworth here as my mole i'm i'm gonna say that bernard is now my number one okay bernard is now your number yes. one how come that would i mean that'd be so cruel for elsie to have like confided this to the mole and that is like such a classic mole reveal type of move that you've bared your soul to the person that you should not be bearing your soul i to. just feel like you know sleeping with the enemy which is the corporate boss with Teresa. um you yeah. know his interactions with ford is his quote stealthy interactions with dolores which are not stealthy at all um i just i feel like again it might be too obvious but i'm gonna go with bernard instead of uh the third hemsworth no, I like that, and I think that you could certainly, like, you could read some of Bernard's scenes as, like, I don't know if you want to call it mischievous, but, like, maybe, like, double-sided, and, like, he has his own agenda for why he's pushing things with Dolores. And, frankly, that's still, even even so, like, even with a benevolent read, it's not, like, entirely clear why he's doing that. Right. Um, so that's a good call. I think that that's definitely possible. <laughs> we guess we'll find out or not. Yeah, we'll find out. But I, I'm excited. I just I just love that this is coming out. Like, I love that this is out there now. And it's like, even Elsie is saying, like, we got a mole. 
You know, just <laughs> I don't think she used that voice or the, that exact phrase. Uh, but it was it was great. It was good to have that on the show. Um, should we talk finally about what happened with Maeve this week? I thought was a pretty big deal. Yes, I mean in her brief scene. Good lord! I mean, Tandy Newton is just amazing. Oh, she's so good. And she, like, you know, sitting up at the very end and this bird winding up on her finger and just, like, has this sort of, I don't know, like, this really eerie Disney quality to it. Like, this, <laughs> I don't know if it's, like, the Disney princess or, like, the evil queen, like, but there was just, like, something very fairy tale about it of, like, the, the young, beautiful woman, like, waking up and a bird lands on her on her finger and she is speaking of, of uh, you know, like, secrets of a world that we don't fully understand. Like, it just, it feels, it feels really surreal to me, which was really cool. It was a really cool note to leave the episode on. The R-rated version of Enchanted, basically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, James Marsden's already here. So. Oh, good one. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so Felix is the uh, inept tech who was trying to reanimate the bird. Obviously, right. uh, bird is from livestock. I mean, so the animals inside of Westworld are also um, they can be killed, but they also can be re- recreated. They are robots. Right, yeah. Um, Well, this is something that someone wanted to know about the bird. This is from a a listener named John who said, I was confused about the significance of the bird in the past episode. Why exactly was it even in the episode, and why was it so important that the butcher was able to bring it to life? Did you have a read on this, Joe? Why why Felix was so obsessed with the bird, like maybe even just thematically what it represented to you? Well, I think that he got interested in the bird after Maeve woke up the first time, and he's trying to figure out – um, yeah, you know, going inside into the guts of the technology to figure out how and if things can be reanimated. And I think he does want to promotion and he's trying it on a sc- smaller scale level with a bird and oopsie daisies. There's Maeve with the bird. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Like he, it was just, I, I hated evil Whedon being such a jerk about it. Uh, just being like, you know, stop, stop. You're just going to be a butcher your whole life. Don't even bother. Like, what do you know? This Felix guy seems like he's got some talent. You know what? It's a total William and Logan. It's a man in black and four. There are two sides. One is light. One is dark. And they, there is definitely a theme here when they have the pairs. And with those two, it's, you have a douche canoe and a nice guy. Yeah, all aboard the douche canoe, and I think we know which one that guy is. <laughs> uh, where where do you see where do you see this going with with Maeve being awake, and and what's your read like? Has she has she been awake like every time like she's been coming here? Like Felix keeps getting freaked out that Maeve's body is rolling up to his station. Is that coincidence? Is that by design? What do you think is going on here? I think given that in the last episode she found the bullet and she realizes you know the she found the the pile of the drawings of the the uh, the men in suits the religious beings who travel between the worlds. I think that she's figured out a way to stay awake or wake herself up. And is specifically like knowing that she's going to be back with those two texts. I think that she's, I don't know the logistics of it, but I feel like she's figured out that she can start getting answers with starting in that room. Well, I think it was a huge mistake to, you know, whatever ended up happening that woke uh, Maeve up in the first place back in episode two. And clearly Felix and Evil Weed in the douche canoe did not do a great job <laughs> wiping her memory in the subsequent episodes. Uh, and I, I feel like that that chicken's coming home to roost right now. Damn. Like, I think that this is this is a, this is not a great thing. For the bird whisperer here, Felix. I don't think it's a very good thing at all that Maeve has, uh, is now on a first name basis with this guy, I think is bad news. I mean, the fact that she knew his name 
meant she was listening. So she was awake at a certain point. Yeah, like she knows his name is Felix. Right. You know, how did how did she get that? And you know, she you know, she's probably picking up some stuff. So could be good, could be good. Uh definitely definitely scary possibility there. I really like that. Maeve's journey has been uh as a real really intriguing one so far. So this seems like this is a pretty big step. Totally. Uh yeah, so that's great. What else from the episode, Joe, that we did not touch on before we sign out? Well, here? you know, later in the episode or, or sorry, before um I think it was after the reveal of the GPS, we see when Dolores sees herself at the psychic, she pulls a thread, and it seems to be that they were making a reference to a, a GPS in her arm. You know, I know it was a vein. It looked gross. It was a thread. It was the, the, the fake flesh of the robot. But to me, I thought it's not a coincidence that Elsie takes the GPS in the same shape out of the woodcutter's arm, and then we see Dolores start to take it out herself. So, and yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, and then you know, the voice says to her, Find me. So, basically, she's Alice in Wonderland, the voice is the white rabbit, and it's run by GPS from an outer source. And it just, it just, it's starting to fall into place for me a little bit. Yeah, it was a really, it was really gross. <laughs> uh, just like her pulling that line out it was just like it, it just looked so gnarly. Uh, it was, it was, it was tough. It was tough to put your eyes on. I mean, this show was very visceral this week. You know, it was just you know whether it was really, really violent or really, really sexual. It was just a very charged episode. Uh, and you even, I, I know that you, you typically don't watch previews for stuff, right, Joe? I don't, but I did watch this, not knowing it was a preview for like the rest of the season. Right, right. So I'm, uh, there's this, you know, you see this in the preview for, for this episode. You see that moment where Dolores is pulling the wire out. And even from that, it's like, oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that. I'm not a fan. Uh, so I don't know. It was it was pretty nasty. I like that. I like that idea. Or maybe, like, it could, maybe, is it, you know, is it some sort of, like, visual metaphor connecting her to whatever conspiracy is going on with the woodcutter who had that in their arm? Uh, maybe that's something that's worth tracking. I don't know. That's well, it's definitely, right after her, her mirror self, the psychic said, maybe you're unraveling. And then she literally starts unraveling. And obviously it's a metaphor for Dolores at large. Um, right. You know, I'm just, I'm so curious as to how much and seemingly nothing that Ford knows, um, you know, when she's in the, after he talks to her, the lights go down and she says he doesn't know anything. It's like, I, there is another technology at work that the people running Westworld can't access. And so that's key to unraveling this whole mystery. I think there's a few front runners for who she's talking to. You know, we've seen her talk to Bernard a lot, and we've seen her talk to Bernard and have Bernard say, like, let's keep these conversations between us. Uh, don't tell anyone. And she's, like, said at least that she has held true to that. So maybe she's talking to Bernard or, like, recording things for him, right? Like, that's possibility number one, right. I think. Um, I think the other possibility is like what Ford is fearing is this idea that Arnold is somehow still in there. When was the last time you talked to Arnold? Um, and if he's saying like your mind is this walled garden that no one can ever really touch the grass of, maybe he's afraid that his former partner who was really interested in the host's discovering consciousness has somehow, you know, figured this out, is somehow still, um, you know, achieving action from beyond the grave. And there is that line from Dolores of like, what did, what did, Arnold want you to do. He wanted me to help him destroy this place. It's very, very scary. So is she still talking to Arnold in some way? She's still communicating with Arnold in some capacity. 
I don't know, but let me tell you something. I've been playing along with the um, Discover Westworld website. You know, I get the emails and newsletters from Aiden, their online host, every week after the new episode. So the day I was just clicking around, you can ask questions. Um, they want you to ask questions about visiting Westworld. Um, so I just started putting in people's names just to see what they'd say. When you put in the word Arnold, Aiden's response is System 404 error, error with the following words. Hell is empty. Mm. I'm like, okay. Interesting. And the, sh- and the shades are over here. <laughs> you know, I also, you know, again, I, I go way too far. I'm a conspiracy theorist and a lit major. So when you look at the map of Westworld headquarters, which seem, which look like basically a drill into the center of the earth and the Westworld is right above it, it looks like Dante's Inferno. And there are many, mm. many levels to Dante's Inferno. And hell is one of them. Hell is empty. Arnold exists somewhere in the DNA of that building. All right. Well, you bring up Dante's Inferno, which I think is a nice uh, lead into another piece of feedback we got this week from someone who calls himself Josh the Seminarian. Ooh. I am Josh the Podcaster, not the Seminarian. <laughs> uh, Josh, the, Josh the Seminarian had written in and said, I want to know who you think got contrapassoed in this episode. Contrapasso being the name of this episode. And Josh continues, Wikipedia states that the word contrapasso refers to the punishment of souls in Dante's Inferno mm-hmm. by a process either Resembling or contrasting with the sin itself. Joe, you texted me this uh, this definition as well this week. Josh asks, obviously with the title being Contrapasso, we are meant to see that someone is getting the revenge they deserved with a punishment that fits their crime in an ironic, fitting way. But who do you think that is? Is it Logan, the Confederados? Is it the overly ambitious butcher reanimating the bird bot? Is it the robo-necrophile? <laughs> and what is the punishment that fits as a Contrapasso? So what, what do you think about this? Who, who fills who, who sort of satisfies the bill, this definition, this idea of uh, an eternal suffering through a mirror image of your sin? Who did you see that through this week? Gosh, I mean, the only person who really lost their life, so to speak, was Lawrence. Um, you know, even though he's a robot, he will be reanimated. Um, and he was allegedly, you know, one of the, he and Paolo, sorry, I don't know his character name right now. Are, Hector, Hector yes. yes. Are two of the biggest, baddest. Uh, badass outlaws in Westworld. Um, so I don't know if it's a come up. It seems too uh, obvious to be give them their comeuppance. Um, and so I, I don't know. I would like to know what you think. Well, I think that there's a few options. Uh, I like Lawrence as somebody where, where this sort of fits that description where if this is, you know, if it's a process of like you're, you're eternally damned to be tortured by like a reflection of your sin or like a reflection of the thing that grinds you down the most, that there is something circular to the idea of Lawrence who is killed in one scene and then is either resurrected and you know very quickly brought back into the mix here in Westworld and is like forced to live this life on a loop over and over again destined to die in different ways all of the time or even if it's calling back to like this is a Lawrence of 30 years earlier and he's been living through this all this time so I think Lawrence is a good example of that I think that's somebody who's certainly being tortured uh, pretty endlessly here Um, I think that Logan is a good idea you know Logan really is the guy this is also this was Josh's suggestion he said I think it has to be Logan on one level he gets what's coming to him in that he's black hatting and ends up getting a full black hat experience in that he's beaten and taken and his partner hangs him out to dry uh, so I think Logan is a really good example of that I think that that's a really good call what about Dolores um, Dolores like again like if Dolores especially if 
if you are buying into the theory that the the Williams stuff is taking place many, many moons ago um, and Dolores is involved in that and she is having what seems to be some sort of awakening back then and that was 30 years ago. And if she's also having an awakening now, then like she's been through this uh, quite a bit. She's been through her own version of this sort of cyclical hell uh, several times. So, yeah, I think she's a good candidate for it as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a, uh, an obvious answer for that, but that's a very good question. Yeah, I think it's a good question. Anything else from the episode, Joe? Probably, but I can't think of anything. <laughs> well, we will have plenty of cha- we have plenty of chances to to talk things through. Episode six of Westworld is coming up really soon here, so Joe and I we will be back with another podcast coming your way after episode six drops. Again, plenty of ways to get your questions and feedback into us. Westworld at postshowrecaps dot com is our email. Our feedback form is postshowrecaps dot com slash feedback. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pinionated and myself at Round Howard. Uh, we will engage you. We will talk Westworld with you. We're very excited about that stuff. Um, hashtag wise, uh, I'm trying to think of what really stood out. We said Burning Host at one point I thought was pretty fun. Douche Canoe. Douche Canoe is really good as well. If you want to go down the Douche Canoe River, uh, <laughs> feel feel free to, to sail on up to us. All right, also, subscribe if you haven't already. We would really appreciate that. Any ratings, any reviews, any honest ratings and reviews that you would leave, we would greatly appreciate it as we are trying to get this podcast found on the iTunes charts. It would be very, very helpful, and we definitely appreciate all the feedback. Again, tons of feedback, lots of interaction with you guys. It's been really, really great. Really exciting. Really having a good time here. I know that Joe feels the same. It's true. We love the constructive feedback. It really inspires us to want to, you know, be be the best podcast out there. And you know, we we might be uh, in our own minds. And so, I'm not. We're not allowed to say. We can't be the judges. Of no, I mean there are plenty of Westworld podcasts. So we really thank you for listening to ours. Yes, we greatly appreciate it. We will be back next week talking about episode six of Westworld going down all of the rabbit holes. Joe, I hope that you are planning on bringing a shovel. I think we're going to need it. (laughs) I have one right here. I have one as well. All right. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Adios. Adios.